it's funny that we have these conversations all the time internally at Legally's Marketing that if you are listening to us still at this point, you believe a specific thing. For us, it's definitely a huge one being that happy lawyer, you know, having a life, having the firm that supports that life. And that's why I'm super excited to have Carl Fix on today. For those of you that don't know, he helps busy professionals and their teams get fit again, leading to less stress and higher productivity. His Friday Fix newspaper column provides strategies, tools, and inspiration to stay both resourceful and resilient. He's a trial lawyer for over three decades before starting No Surrender LLC. And today he's going to talk to us about Mind Over Matter, the secret tips to a happy lawyer. Carl, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, thank you so much, Jordan, for having me. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to our chat and a quick shout out to Steve Fretzen who connected us. So uh, just really pleased to be here. There we go. Yeah, the uh, we had Steve on. Actually, we've had Steve on twice. I think he's one of the, maybe the only guest, because um, obviously we want to highlight his latest book, Legal Business Development Isn't Rocket Science. Uh, went through all those things. All right, so we're going to dive in today on uh, 30 to 40 minutes on our Mind Over Matter, Secret Tips to a Happy Lawyer. But before that, I do want to talk about our last episode. Our most recent episode aired last week. We had Anna Juneja on. Anna talked to us about putting the horse before the cart how to protect your brand to provide more value online. So we talked about it from the trademark perspective, covering that brand, but also we talked about it from the sales perspective or the marketing perspective in terms of how you build that brand. Anna's got, I want to say 90 something thousand followers on Instagram and shared with us the all time greatest line I've ever heard. There are certain things that she cannot post because it will generate too many leads, too many cases, too many hired clients. So if you are looking to have that problem, you got to go back and listen to our last episode, but you're here now. We've got Carl live, so we don't want to skip out on the wonderful insight in being a happy lawyer. Carl, give us a little bit more of that rundown. You know, the 30 plus years as a trial lawyer before switching gears over to No Surrender LLC. Sure. So uh, I passed the bar in 88 and I uh, purposefully moved into the litigation side of the law ledger, not transactional for a number of reasons. One of them was to me, it close, it most closely mimicked uh, sports. And I loved playing sports as a kid, uh, baseball, football, and I played some rugby in college and a few other things. And to me, uh, trial work seemed to be a lot of those things rolled into one, uh, a lot of mental gymnastics, a lot of tactical moves. Uh, but the profession itself, uh, can be bruising and litigation certainly can be uh, filled with many, many long hours and many, many stressors. So what I did throughout my career and in all candor, my first five years of practice, um, I was not very good to myself. I was really deeply involved in trying to become a, a, a good lawyer. So I kind of neglected my body. But in the early 90s, after about four or five years, I realized that wasn't sustainable. So I started to focus on stuff that was, and that frankly was embedding a, a fitness component in my daily and weekly routine. And that allowed me to uh, put in the hours that I put in, deal with the trial work that I dealt with. And oh, by the way, this other thing called life, uh, you know, nights and weekends and so forth. Um, and it just helped me um, be resilient throughout my career. And I decided in 2021 to pivot and in kind of be in service to the profession and share what I've uh, learned and what has worked for me with the profession. And so I pivoted out of the law and founded No Surrender. 
You know, and what's funny to me, so you're talking about, you know, five or so years into uh, practice, so being the early 90s, and I'm sure we as a society have gotten fatter on average between the 90s and now, but at the same time, I've yet to talk to anybody successful who doesn't have some sort of consistent fitness routine, even if it's, you know, going for walks, you know, they don't necessarily have to be power lifters, but like, it's funny to me to see almost as success becomes more differentiated, this becomes one of the things that successful people tend to have in common. I think it's a cornerstone success business principle. I, I realized back in the day that what I was doing was not sustainable. And that was putting in Herculean hours and then knocking off at nine or nine 30 and then having a massive bowl of fettuccine Alfredo and then going to bed at 10 30 and then getting up and doing it all over again. And that was getting me nowhere fast. I also realized Jordan, like a new young lawyer, I bought my first new car, my first new car, which I took better care of than myself. I was the guy cleaning the rims of my new car with a toothbrush, getting the oil changed, having it waxed, washing it. And I wasn't doing any of that with myself. So here I am. That that to me uh, was more important than taking care of myself. And that was paradoxical. So I needed to change that. So was there like was there that rock bottom moment or was it really just you could see the future and you wanted to make changes to avoid it? Um, there was an aha moment and that was, um, plus or minus the fall of 93. I remember it was Thanksgiving morning. I woke up and I looked in the mirror and I thought, mother of God, what happened to you? It just, it just was one of those things. And I had put on a fair amount of weight. Uh, I was feeling slothful, uh, and I need, I needed to get back in the game and I had been in the game for so long, but I had completely and utterly neglected it my first few years of practice. Yeah, they had a, um, I, I mean, obviously it was a meme meant in humor, but because it's based on truth, it was Christian Bale in Batman. And then it was Christian Bale in, um, was it Vice? Please. Oh, where he put on that pounds, dozens what, of pounds. Whether he put on 60 pounds, put on a fat seat, whatever, it's like this, you know, whatever, they were a year apart from each other. They're like, this is what a year of loitering does to you, the before and after picture. So yeah. um, obviously falling in line with what you're talking about. But here's the thing, Jordan. So you, as a, as a lawyer, you're an asset. You, you, you're an asset that it's you, you're in the practice and you should protect the asset. It's funny. We, you know, they tell you young lawyers, you know, get some disability insurance, get some life insurance, get a financial planner, all to keep your financial house in order and to protect the assets, the actual cash assets that you will hopefully accumulate in your career. So all this emphasis is placed on protecting your cash assets, but not the actual asset that earns the cash. So it, it's helpful to change that narrative. Like you, unless you show up every day to, to earn that money, which you can then protect through your financial planning, it, it's, of, it's of no use. That's such a strong point. I mean, it makes total sense. It's just really interesting to see Right. Like we are in essence, we get hired for lawyers for our mind, but our mind needs to be supported by our body. And yet we let that part go to waste. Correct. Correct. So, so you know, things for better or worse have changed in some ways and less changed, you know, now from the nineties to 2020, where, if you were talking to a lawyer in the similar shoes to you were back then, 
what would you tell them is the step one or where would you tell them to start? I had this very conversation a few months ago. It's the son of a former law partner of mine. And I, we were chatting and then this guy played college baseball. And he said to me, Carl, I'm, I'm so out of shape. I said, Joe, what year are you? He said, I'm a fifth year associate. I said, I was right where you were exactly where you were. I said, what are your, what, what does the future look like for you? What do you want to do? Well, I want to get back in shape. Okay. So you want to basically go, you're on pain Island. You want to get to pleasure Island. So we just need to come up with a plan to get you there. That's it. So it's, yeah, ha he has a goal. He wants to get back to the way his basic playing shape uh, when he played college baseball. So then we figure out a plan to get there. And lawyers, Jordan, are good planners. You know, if you work for an institutional client or others, you have to come up with litigation plans. Those are fairly detailed. We're pretty good at preparing those. So we can apply those skills to preparing a, a plan to kind of get back to where you were. So I, I would say, uh, let's come up with a goal and let's get a plan to get there. And by the way, that goal does not have to be monstrous. It, it can be very and should be, frankly, very small. If you're if you want to hike a mountain, hike a mountain, you're not going to start by hiking Mount Everest. That's not happening. So find a smaller one and start there. Just, you know, start with T2. Yeah, you know, just start. Just yeah. kidding. Um, and so how I want to use the right word here. How personalized, customized, specialized, whatever word fits best, are you making these plans or talking to the lawyers about having? Uh, they can be, I can do one-to-many coaching and one-to-many training, but the one-on-one -on -one needs to be very, uh, very specialized because, uh, and there's an intake. I don't know what that person's fitness level is. And again, I don't know what their goals are. Uh, when I decided to get back at it, uh, one of my goals was the New York City Marathon for a number of reasons. My dad worked there for some years. I fell in love with the city as a kid, and it just seemed very cool. When I started that journey, I could not run two miles. I could barely run a mile. And I thought, how, how did I end up here? Because again, I played sports as a kid in high school and in college. And then I couldn't run a mile. That was a wow moment. But then I just kept at it. And um, I was able to I was able to achieve that. Um, so it would be very specialized, depending, again, on that person's level of fitness, level of commitment, uh, timing, what else is going on in his or her life, uh, things of that nature. And so where I mean, that's a great point about the what else is, is going on in their life, because obviously, you know, that, that I assume, correct me if I'm wrong, that fifth year associate or whatnot might be recently married might be having a kid on the way might be you know going through the life changes that come around that time frame too oh and i i that was that's the story of my life you just described it i mean i again in 93 i decided to break out of this funk and i thought i'm going to run the 1994 new york city marathon i got married in 94 so i bumped it and i ran the 1995 new york city marathon 2005, I was registered for a marathon in Vermont, and we had our second daughter, and that got that got pushed to the side. And you know, life interferes, and that's okay. So I want to I want to give you my story in an effort to support your story. My wife and I got married on um, the the Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. So we had a bunch of family come into town. They did Thanksgiving with us on that Thursday. That Saturday, after we got married, we ran the Space Coast Marathon. Worst decision of my life, getting married, best decision, running the marathon, whatever that was, like uh, 
four days later, worst decision I've ever made. So props <laughs> to you for pushing the marathon uh, to the next year. Well, here, here's a bad decision I made. The day our first daughter was christened, I was training for a marathon and I thought, what's the big deal? I'll go out for a 20 mile training run. That was a bad move. <laughs> that that kind of ratcheted up the stress level across the board. So with daughter number two, I opted not to go for a long training run the morning of her baptism. <laughs> I <you> learned. Go. <laughs> Important but I, I kudos for running a marathon four days after you got married. That's that's uh, ambitious. Thanks. It was. Uh, I, I I mean I got to be honest on on me personally. We, so I ran a 2.20 first half. I ran a 3.30 second half. I walked the last 10 miles. I physically could not run across the finish line. And like I didn't get nearly the amount of enjoyment out of finishing it that I thought I would during it, if that makes sense. Like it was makes, such a – Makes total sense. It was like weirdly a letdown. And I can't – even to this day when I'm like, I ran a marathon, people are like, oh, yeah, that's cool. You know, like I think if you did Everest and hated it, people would still be like, oh, my God, I want to hear the whole story. Tell me about yeah. climbing Everest. For a marathon, they're like, yeah, you know, cool. Sounds sounds good. Yeah. And people get different things. Uh, you know, they, they get a different vibe out of out of a road race or a, a bike ride. And it's it's so uniquely personal. It's you know, if you if you want to go to church, go to church. People get different things out of going to church. Um, you know, so it it is a personal journey. Makes total sense. All right. So I I think one of the biggest pieces of pushback especially for that lawyer who's got billable hours is how do I find the time? How do I make the time? You know, is that one of the biggest pieces of feedback that you get? Uh, if not the biggest. Okay. And um, my position is quite clear that if you make a little time and carve it out, that your billable hour production will actually increase. Um, and I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. A few years ago, we were on uh, picking a jury in Connecticut, which is a rather arduous task. In Connecticut, in state court, you're entitled to unlimited wadir. And what that means is it elongates jury selection. It can go on for days. So we were in the middle of jury selection. We had a dust up with an expert. I wanted to preclude. The judge says, no, I'll let you redepose him. I said, when, your honor? He said, Thursday night. So on Thursday night, we had been in court for a few days. We had picked a jury all day. Thursday night, I took the deposition of an expert. And there was a young lawyer in the office. And I said, hey, have you ever been through an expert depot. He said, no. I said, Thursday night, you're going to sit with me and watch. Okay. I was in the office that day at seven. Uh, I put the expert witness under oath at 6.30 PM and deposed until 9.30. So that was seven to 9.30. We're, we're returning to our offices and he's yawning. And I said, hey, what's going on? He said, well, I'm tired. I said, you're tired. How old are you? He said, well, I'm 27. I said, at the time I was 54. I said, I'm 54. And this is a teachable moment. I said, these are long days. And oh, by the way, I have to be in court the next tomorrow. I have to be back in court picking a jury. So I'm able, I was able to do that by embedding this fitness component. And I'm not talking about working out two hours a day. I made, you know, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And that allowed me to put in those hours. I mean, and, and then as I mentioned, so we finished jury selection on a Friday and then you're getting ready for evidence the next week. And you have the weekend and you think about other demands on your time, whether it's a partner, domestic or otherwise, children, community, church, whatever, all of these demands on your time. But my position is quite clear and I'm a staunch advocate of if you make the time, even a half hour, your billable production 
will go up. I love that. You talking to literally to the attorney, literally half your age and being like, come on, man, if I can do it, you got to be able to do it. And, and I try, I always try to lead by example. And, you know, the other thing too, is I, when I, I like to work out in the morning and it gives me such clarity of thought and I would run or ride. And then I go into the office. And if you were my partner, I'd go in your office. I say, Hey, Jordan, I had this idea. Everybody in my office said, oh, okay, so you went running this morning or you went riding. Everybody knew that I got my ideas when I was out running or riding. And it became a joke. They'd come in my office, you know, somebody would say, are you going riding tomorrow? Yeah. Well, here's what I need. They'd actually put orders in, you know, tomorrow's ride. You need to think of X for me. Okay. So it just gave me great clarity of thought. I had that brain dump in the morning early. And then on the ride to work, I thought, okay, I can handle whatever comes at my, at me. It's funny. Um, uh, Jonah Berger in his book Contagious talks about one of the things when you when you care, you share. And so the emotions that you jump on to get people to to focus on an idea, whether it's content going viral, whether it's remembering stuff. And he talks about like high arousal emotions are what matters. So like sadness, people don't want to share, but anger, people love sharing. You know, the CEO who gets the golden parachute as everybody else gets fired. We, that makes us angry. We love to share. And he talks about exactly what you said. Even if the stuff itself um, isn't high arousal, but you put yourself in that state. You know, you go to the gym, you elevate your heart rate, you do something along the lines to be up and moving. You will feel better about it. You will think clearer about it. You will come up with better decisions and you'll remember it more fondly in those moments. And I just think that's a fascinating thing to look at. And that's well said. And and as I said, I like to work out in the morning and I, I call it the, so the three C's don't, didn't get me colleagues, court or clients. Uh, when I went in, when I worked out in the morning, I owned it. It was mine. So I would drive into work and I have a punch list. We all have punch lists. I have items one through five. I'm going to get done today. You finish item one. And then all of a sudden the client's in crisis. You need to address that. A colleague is in crisis. Uh, uh, they're sick a depot needs coverage or a hearing needs coverage. Okay, got to go. Um, or the court calls and says, by the way, we're going to have an emergency status conference and your entire day goes sideways. If that happens and you've saved your workout for 6 p.m., 7 p.m., you may not get to it. But if you did it at 5.30 in the morning before courts open or before your clients are awake, it's yours. You own that. And you're able to, to handle, I found, what came at you faster. I mean, Lawyers, we're just well-dressed firefighters, really. A lot of t- we're just running to fires, just putting out fires. I mean, the gravity is not what real first responders do, but it's a fitting metaphor. Right, because we're suing the firefighter after they didn't put out the fire quickly. But no, uh, <laughs> I love I, John Morgan talks about it as uh, for plumbers. I mean, same concept. And I think it's it's so true. We get so caught up in how smart we are. And ultimately clients get caught up in how quickly we can address their problem or put out their fire or, you know, fix their, uh, their proverbial backing up toilet. Um, I'm with you. I love it. And obviously I think also the more, the happier lawyer, the more active lawyer is better positioned to solve that, address that call, take that call, answer that question, you know, in a quicker manner. Yeah. And we need to be mindful. Um, so, you know, it's a double-edged sword because Again, I am of the age where I can remember that in your reply or auto reply email where when you said I'm out of the office for the week of May 2nd without access to email, 
that phrase without access to email actually meant something. Today, it's meaningless because everybody has access to email. That meant something back in the day. So we need to be really, really careful about a line of demarcation. You know, everybody expects everything yesterday. Uh, so that just adds an entire new layer of issues for a, an entirely new generation of attorneys that they, they expect everything yesterday. And, I, and that gives me a, a great jumping off point because I, we get into this discussion all the time. You know, that newer lawyer, do I answer, do I take the consult on the weekend? Do I answer the client's question on the weekend? So how do you help, do you help attorneys come up with that line or, or where does that line play into all of this? A, a lot of it is perspective and here's the way I'll frame it. Uh, when I moved to this larger firm and I moved to a larger firm in 2000, I worked with a guy who used to line up on the uh, at the workstation for the secretaries and admins he'd line up his rushes and he would put post-its on them rush number one rush number two jordan this went all the way up to rush number 15 right and i when i saw this i started laughing i said at what point does the word rush become diluted and thus right. meaningless okay so it's perspective and by the way he was a construction lawyer this wasn't criminal where, you know, a client or a prospective clients calling you at three in the morning because they're at the lockup. This wasn't family law where a custody dispute uh, where, you know, there's an Amber alert because a child was taken. This is construction law. So it's perspective. And, and as I like to say to my admin, there aren't a lot of code reds. We were not the I call them code reds. We're not dealing with code reds. Are these things important? Absolutely. Can some of these things keep? Without a doubt. So a lot of it is perspective. And, and I would tell the young lawyer, it's okay. Don't, don't let somebody else dictate your schedule unless that person's wearing a robe. Then you, you, you got to be a little more adherent. But a lot of these things will keep. And if you acknowledge an email saying, you know, hey, Jordan, thanks for your email. Um, I'll get to this in short order. Or, uh, uh, you know, can, is it okay if we connect on Monday? And then I, I, that keeps the client happy, but some perspective helps. Like, is this really a rush and how is that defined? But I, I to this day, laugh about rushes one through 15. And it got to the point, he left the firm and I said to the admin going forward, I, I'd hold up a document and I'd say, this is not a rush. And we'd have a good laugh because nine times out of 10, they aren't rushes. And the sad part is I guarantee you they're like, to the extent that we have staff members watching this, I bet you there are a ton that think, you know, I wish my boss would give me priority from, you know, at least the prioritization of one through 15, as opposed to just do everything ASAP. It was all due yesterday. My last admin at the firm, she was incredibly, incredibly conscientious. And at times she would get a little more worked up than I would. And I'd say, let's just take a deep breath here. You know, here's the way the planes are lined up on the runway. You know, we need to put this fire out first. So those two things I gave you, just move them to the side and we'll get to them. And, um, you know, we worked we worked well together because I was grateful and blessed to have such a conscientious admin. But the flip side is I just didn't want to see her in distress. I'm the one with the law license. I'm the one that should be stressing. <laughs> Makes little sense. All right. So you used the word code red which obviously for me always screams you can't handle the truth, you know, a few good men ordering the code red. 
yeah. from that standpoint though from that like you can't handle the truth as the lawyer talk to me a little bit about like the internal mindset that you're seeing lawyers struggle with to address a lot of these needs that you're helping with i i don't i i think some lawyers underestimate the um amount of work that goes into say bringing a case to trial it's just a lot of work you, you know you, you say to non-lawyers you you watch a tv show uh you know issue comes up at five after the hour by five of the hour it's resolved um and here's i'll give you an example i had a trial in 2012 for a barge accident which occurred on the hudson river in 2004. we litigated that case jordan for eight years that's a long time that is an endurance sport so i think there's an underestimation or lack of appreciation might be too pejorative but underestimation of wow that this is a lot of this is a lot of work and i like it like fitness you cannot half-ass the practice of law you cannot cheat it bottom line period full stop you've got to you get out of it what you put into it um, I, go, I happen to go to a cardiologist preemptively twice a year. Once a year, I get a stress test. And recently, the, the doc said to me, he's looking at the numbers and he says, well, Carl, you can't cheat a stress test. No, you can't. And I never thought, and you can't, you can't cheat going to trial. Uh, if you're not prepared, the jury or the judge is going to say, hmm, this guy's not prepared. The juries see through it. You can't BS a jury. You can't BS a judge. You've got to put in the time. So I think there's an underestimation of the amount of time and effort that it takes to become a very good lawyer. And does, do you think that plays out from the concept of lawyers spreading themselves too thin? Or do you think that's just a not saying no to enough things to have the time for fitness, for the cases, for whatever? Uh, door number two. Okay. Uh, and, and no, it's not saying the word no is very powerful and it's an art to be able to use it effectively. I mean, when you're a young lawyer, you just, you want to take in every case you can because you want to grow your book. But, um, you know, there's, there's some red flags of bringing in new clients. If, if somebody calls me and says, Hey, you know, tells me about a problem and they say they've, they've talked to, uh, Jordan Ostroff about, about this issue. I'd say, whoa, 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 you, you've already been to a lawyer. Yeah. Oh yeah. Actually I've called three of them. Hmm. That's a red flag. I'd say, you know, let me get back with you. I'd hang up and I'd say, well, we might have an issue here. And I would talk to somebody senior about that. So you got to be able to say no. You got to have a filter. Um, but I'm also a huge believer in scheduling. We're good schedulers. Schedule a half hour block on your calendar to uh, a little me time, a little fitness, a little self-care. And so I guess it's interesting I just, I keep coming back to, look, I hate the billable hour. I am going to assume that you do as well from what we're talking about here. Um, but like, I just come back to, okay, well, if I schedule time for myself and I schedule time for the gym and I schedule time for this, I schedule time for that, then I don't have time to bill. And so like, it's, I like, I feel like we've addressed this, but I still feel like everybody's stuck on that one. Well, okay. So I'll, I'll come at it from a different angle. Uh, we had a group of younger lawyers at my firm who two two thirty would en masse go out to Starbucks for their afternoon caffeine jolt. And I never, I don't need an afternoon caffeine jolt. My, my jolt, I'm fueled by my morning workout. So 
you may take a 40 minute, 45 minute Starbucks break in the afternoon where you're not billing. But, it, you know, if you if you work out 30 day, 30, excuse me, 30 minutes in the morning, you may not need that. So actually, you're 15 minutes to the good. So you're putting down another point two or point three on your billing sheet. That's how I look at it. And and again, I, I gave that example. Those those were long days. That that one trial day, I've used this as a screenshot on my PowerPoint. That one trial day I told you about was in, surrounded by that week was 62 hours billed on the sheet. So that's probably a 70 to 75 hour week. You know, you got some non-billable time built in. And then yeah, I had time the following weekend to get ready for evidence. So that's not for the faint of heart. And um, I, I think it's it's an investment. Again, no different than I'm going to spend, you know, uh, I make $100,000 coming out of law school. And, you know, somebody told me I have to sit with a financial planner. I'm going to take that hour and go sit with the financial planner. Well, why wouldn't I take an hour and sit with a fitness trainer? Or, or spend an hour just, again, protecting me, the asset that earns the money that's going to go in the bank for the fit for the financial planner to deal with. And I love, I mean, at the end of the day, I think for some people, we need to boil it down to those cold, hard numbers. So I love that you're taking that approach with it. And I truly, I, I agree with you. Like if you sit down and you, we all have the same amount of time, right? So if you're sitting there looking at like, oh, so-and-so so successful, they, didn't, they don't have a 26-hour day. We still have the same 24-hour day. And so I love the concept of if you really look at you know, some of your time, you're, you're keeping yourself away from the leading indicator to have the lagging indicator of the coffee run, of the longer lunch, of the having to go home early, of the being sick. You know, I, I guess Greg has a new baby, so maybe sick's the wrong word because the, the kid gets sick, but you know, running yourself ragged to have to take that time. Well, yeah. So again, we lawyers are in the, the service business. And if you think about the folks that you serve, you serve, again, your partner, whether it's domestic or business, uh, you may serve your children, your friends, your community, your employees, your clients, your colleagues. If you are offline, then none of that happens. There's a massive domino effect. So it just is critically important in order to be in service to folks that, that you show up, you have to show up. And again, it just allowed me to be much more proficient, but there's also, you know, there's an art to billing your time and the billable hours. Again, I, I miss Steve Fretzen had me as a guest on his podcast and we were talking about the billable hour. And I said, you know, in the early nineties, this was a thing it's, well, we need to change this. <laughs> 30 years later, Jordan, we're still having this conversation. But we still it, need it, to change it. Yes, I know that. But it, it's like shower fungus. You can't get rid of it. You know what I mean? So um, I just learned, and I told Steve this I, on his podcast, I learned how to bill in law school. I clerked at a law firm. I had a wonderful boss and mentor who taught me a lot of things. One of them was how to bill a client. And I carried that with me. So my first year out as a, as a as a one L, I was capturing a lot of my time and I was very mindful about it. And we had the usual suspects that would try to capture their time at the end of the month. And that, that's not happening. So if you're not 
proficient on billing your time, it seems like you're always playing catch up. And when you're playing catch up, you have that kind of running in wet concrete feeling like, oh my God, I look at my hours, I'm short. Well, you may not actually be short. You may be short because you have shoddy bookkeeping or shoddy timekeeping. That's why you may be short. So if you, if you clean that up a bit, you then free up a little time to get your workout in. So it's, it's a time management thing. Yeah, I mean, from that standpoint, look, I, I barely remember what I had for lunch yesterday. If I had to sit back and do all of, of uh, billing for a whole month in one sitting, one, I'd hate it. Two, I'd be bad at it. And so from that standpoint, you're like, what's the point of uh, pushing those things off? Absolutely impossible to recreate you know, 28 days of, uh, or 25 days of billable time upon reflection. It's just, you can't do it. So you're, you're leaving, you know, they talk about editing a film while well, we left film on the floor. You lawyers, young lawyers, not, not necessarily young lawyers leave time on the floor. They, they just flat out do because it, it's one of these things. It's like, yeah, I don't like to build time. A lot of lawyers don't like billing time. They don't like collecting on their bills because that's that's kind of like the dirty stuff. Um, well, that that kind of makes the full lawyer. And I will say, I, recently, at least it seems like, um, at least on a smaller level, there are more lawyers getting away from this. Like on an institutional level, I don't think we've made any progress in 90 years. But from an individual you know, small firm owner, I haven't seen a lot more firm owners go flat fee billing, value-based billing, you know, something along those lines to try and prevent some of these issues. Because the the downside over the last 30 years from the billable hour is technology has increased, software has increased, automation has increased, but you can't bill for the stuff that gets done automatically. So you sort of run away from technology. Yeah. And, and you know, the large institutional clients have billing auditors and everybody knows how billing auditors get paid. And there are certain buzzwords that'll kick out your time entry. And so what that what that leads to is, you know, you you got to get creative at times. You, you're, you're entitled to get paid for your work, but actual tasks that, that you should get paid for, the billing auditor software says, uh-uh, no, um, fix, fix isn't getting paid for that. Uh, that's paralegal work. It's like, well, you actually need a license to do this and paralegals aren't licensed. Um, I'm the one who has the license. I'm the one who's subject to the discipline. I'm the one signing my name. So I should get paid. So. Makes total sense. Yeah. All right. So as we get towards the end, I mean, what are the things that we haven't covered? What are the things we want to make sure we address? What, well, one of the things I wanted to share with you, I think um, fitness can mimic what comes up in the practice. And, and I'll give you my example, my trial advocacy class. We had an assistant United States attorney that taught it. He was dynamite. He comes in the first week and he puts a stuffed toad on the lectern. And law students being law students, they said, Professor, what's the toad? What's with the toad? And he stiff-armed us for about six weeks. We'll get to that, we'll get to that. Finally, he gets to it. He says, this toad is your star witness. This toad you've worked with, this toad you've prepped, this toad is going to carry the day. And he is a prince. And when he gets in the court under cross-examination, he becomes a toad. And you're going to make your bones as a trial lawyer and how you deal with that toad. I've never forgotten it. And fitness, stuff comes up. If you're running a road race or you're out for a run and, and something happens to you, how do you deal with it? 
you know, I took a long run once and it was about zero degrees and I'm, I'm five or 10 miles out from my house. I thought, if I don't run back, I'm going to get hypothermic and this, things are going to be bad. So how did I deal with that? I turned around and I ran home. So I, I always find that um, the adversity that you can face in some workouts mimics the adversity that you face as a lawyer. Things come at you. You prep witnesses and they're going to be, again, they're going to be the prince and they become the toad. How do you deal with that? So there are so many transferable lessons between the two, between the practice of law and certain fitness uh, components. Well, and I always find, you know, sports and law are the two adversarial professions. Someone wins, someone loses, and you are working against each other, playing offense and defense. You know, for a doctor, there isn't somebody else running in the middle of the surgery and nicking another artery to make it more difficult on you. Or and as a, as a uh, therapist, there isn't another therapist trying to make your client crazier. Or that's, I should say, that's not the right terminology. Uh, you know, trying to undo your hard work with your client. Right. So, again, I, I've learned so many things outside the practice of law that I've been able to apply. And a lot of them have come through the fitness and the athletic competition and the, and the sports. So it's it's not only benefiting me uh physically it's it's also i i just found it i could apply it to to the practice you know i was in a deposition once and i asked you know most witnesses are compliant but this guy was you know bucking like a bronco and i asked him a question and he said oh i don't think you have the patience for the answer now jordan i had just run an ultra marathon i had run 30 miles and i said to the guy I just ran five miles or five hours nonstop. I think I have the patience for your answer. Now, I normally wouldn't talk that way, but he he was talking a little smack, telling me I didn't have the patience. It's And I said, well, actually, I do. Um, I just ran for five hours. So may I have your answer, sir? <laughs> so it, it comes in handy at times. Um, and I don't always show my cards like that, but, you know, he, and I was a little younger and uh, he kind of got under my skin a little which happens makes sense hey i mean i you know thankfully knock on wood um haven't necessarily had witnesses that way but certainly have had opposing counsels who it's like i don't want to have the patience for you to run this case the way you want because i know that we can make this a well you know whatever it is we can make it a one-day trial you're going to make it a three-day trial so you can build more or so you can make things confusing for the jury or you know whatever that looks like right so um, can i can i you you just um refreshed my recollection of something I wanted to touch on if I could. And, and there we go. It's really about happiness under the umbrella of happiness. I think we need a little more civility amongst attorneys, even adversaries, because everybody's got a full plate. If you think about think about what's going on today. I mean, you've got the Ukraine, you've got soaring gas prices, you've got rampant inflation, you've got race relations, you've got COVID malaise, all of these things. So everybody's got a very full plate. And people are going to need some flexibility and a little more forgiveness. And I think if you showed that to not only your colleagues, but your adversaries, it would be a happier profession. And I'll give you an example. Years ago, I was going to run the Disney marathon, had a trial schedule. I reached out to my adversary. I said, Hey, um, I want to stay an extra day or two in Orlando. I'm running this marathon. My family wants to come with me. Can we bump the trial a week? No. Okay. I said, I'm going to file a motion. Judge, the judge is going to deny it. I said, no, he won't. I knew the judge at the time was a runner. So in my motion, Jordan, I motion for continuance, reasons, trained 15 weeks for the Disney Marathon, want to stay 48 extra hours with my family. 
granted, right? <laughs> we go into court the following week. First thing the judge says in chambers, Carl, how did you do in the marathon? And I looked at the other lawyer kind of like, did you really have to, did you really have to make me go through this? And that that's just a, for instance, it's like a little flexibility. And that, and that I think applies in your office. If you, if you've got an associate who wants to go hike the presidentials in New Hampshire, let them go, you know, or who wants to run the space coast marathon, let them go a little flexibility. So long as they they've got their work up to date. And if they, if you need to reach them, you can reach them, set some parameters, set some expectations, but a little civility, uh, I think can go a very long way. So Carl, how did you do in the Disney marathon that year? I did very well. There I've, you go. I've run the, I've run the Disney marathon seven times. So I get a kick out of running down there. The, uh, so I haven't, obviously we're in Orlando. So my wife had uh, ran, I think the half. And she said the craziest part was everybody who stopped to take pictures, like in the first quarter mile, like they don't run at all. They just stop for all the photos. And she was like, she didn't have, I guess she didn't have a qualifying time. So she was in like a thousand, you know, 2000 people back in some other corral running through everybody taking uh, photos in the park being sort of dead. Uh, no, it's an epically fun time. And, um, you know, you see funny things. It starts so early in the morning. I mean, once when I was in driving to Epcot, I saw an actual garbage truck and I thought, oh, you never see those. It's just a regular park person. But because I'm a runner, I got to see a Disney garbage truck. There you go. I'm sure they have a very strict rule, right? Like they have to be because like the marathon has to start at what is like four or five a.m. So they can get done before the park opens. Five, sure five a.m. I mean, I've, I've been on that monorail at two thirty three in the morning schlepping out to Epcot thinking, is this really a good plan? But then when, once you get going, it's just a ball. Awesome. So love it. All right. So let me go into our next episode and then we'll do your uh, final nugget of wisdom, your biggest takeaway in the last couple minutes that we have here. So next week we are talking with Sonia Lacani, who's going to talk to us about different strokes, how to market to different audiences of lawyers and non-lawyers. For those of you that don't know, Sonia runs an awesome Facebook group and does a bunch of training, usually in the trademark space. But obviously from the trademark space, you can have a bunch of different niches as it goes out from there. So we're going uh, trademark attorneys sandwich around Carl here, but on very interesting uh, niche piece of information. So marketing to your different audiences versus being a happy lawyer versus, you know, social media tips and tricks. So that being said, Carl, if somebody has been listening for about the last, whatever it is, 58 minutes at this point, and they remember nothing else that you have shared, except what we're going to talk about right now, what would be your biggest piece of advice, your most important takeaway, your biggest nugget of wisdom for somebody to be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? Uh, thank you, Your Honor. My exhibit A is self-care is not selfish. I think lawyers need to make self-care a priority. There is, at first blush, you might think, well, it's me time, so it's selfish. No, not at all. In order to show up for your clients, for your colleagues, for your families, all the communities we've talked about that we serve, in order to show up, you have to take care of yourself. So self-care, yeah, you do get something out of it. You, it's, it's for your physical health, but that allows you to then show up better. And in fact, I view that as a gift to others. So self-care is not selfish. I reject that uh, because if you don't attend to it, you're going to be overworked, overstressed, 
and unhealthy and you will not be able to show up. And then there are issues. So exhibit A for me is self-care is not selfish. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, and we've got, we dropped all the links. So anybody watching this on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram, will have the links in there. But for anybody listening on the podcast, what's the best place for people to connect with you, Carl, so they can learn sure. more of your insight? Uh, website, carlfix.com, C-A-R-L-F-I-C-K-S.com, or by email, carl at carlfix.com. And I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook. i love to connect with uh, those in your community. And uh, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. I thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being with us today. And again, to everybody watching and listening, we'll see you next Monday, May 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern. So an hour and a half after you watch Carl's episode with Sonia Lacane about um, targeting your different audiences. With that, have a wonderful week. Hopefully, if this was the, uh, the final kick that you needed, hopefully this is the first week of your self-care not being selfish. Thank you, Carl. Thanks, Jordan.